I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. Today we are joined by Jennifer Riley. We're so excited to talk about the world of museums and also the Worcester Arts Council. We Um, love the Worcester Arts Council. We do. And we'll talk more about (laughs) that in a second and how they've supported us. But we've been trying to zero in on what it means to pop bottles and support local cocktail (laughs) enthusiasts, particularly in a time where most of our bartenders are at home. So today we have a Princess Diana cocktail. Which I'm thrilled about. Yes. I'm a princess. I'm a Lady Di super fan. I know you are. (laughs) Um, We had a guest last year on the show named Kitty Aman, and she wrote this book called Drinking Like Ladies. So there's a different cocktail inspired by many different inspiring women. This particular cocktail is made with Bombay Sapphire, which has a blue bottle because, Amal, you probably know more about this. The ring. She wore a sapphire ring, and (laughs) she has blue eyes and blue eyeliner. I guess after she passed, they created a memorial garden that's just filled with white flowers too. So I made a simple syrup with some white lilies. Ooh, this is delicious. Yes, and it's made with English breakfast tea. That's wonderful. Yeah. So I was hoping that we could start with just a basic overview. What do you do in your day job? And then how did you get hooked up with the Worcester Arts Council, Jen? um, So I am the head of image licensing and digital archives at the Museum of Fine Arts, and I oversee the licensing program, but also the digital archives for the museum. Excellent. What does that entail? What is like a digital archive in the context of like an art museum? So the archives at the museum are not just digital. It's really the photography archives, and it's comprised of film and digital files and video. So our archives date back to the early 1900s. So we do have a lot of film. Um, It's photography that our in-house staff photographers have taken of artworks in the collection, along with exhibitions, installations, and historic events. And we still do that today. And then we use that photography for both internal use, say for PR and marketing or museum publications, but we also license it, which is something I also handle. So we license it for, say, publications to people who are doing textbooks or writing books, documentaries, and product. I'm so fascinated right now where (laughs) technology meets creativity and art because I've been working on a project. Um, I am a teacher. I'm also a freelance writer. And one of my biggest contracts this summer is all about what separates us from machines. And the answer is really creativity at this point. Machines can communicate, machines can collaborate, but they can't really be creative without the help of humans. That doesn't mean that they can't come pretty darn close. (laughs) Like there is this particular algorithm that can take a whole bunch of Chopin compositions and create a piece of music that Chopin scholars, when it's played, thought was an actual genuine Chopin piece. Yeah. And then people started to have this debate, like, is the art valuable if it was created by technology? Uh, And so I'm curious kind of where tech and art are meeting in your life. Do you think that humans machines are going to come together to create works of art that we'll see someday in your museum? Oh, probably that will eventually happen. Um, You know, I think at, at this point, the tech that certainly we use at the museum is a tool. You know, has it made the photography better? Sure. The 
quality is better. It's easier to to get better photos, but I still think that the experience and the human side of creativity that our photographers use to create the photos, even though they are documenting the artwork, there still is that human element, the talent, the creativity, and they certainly do use their own personal experience and their own personal touch to create. But I do think are beautiful photos of the works of art in the collection. Do any of your photographers ever feel threatened by the uh, rapidly advancing <laughs> technology? No, I think they actually embrace it. You know, they've all, they were all at the museum when we had film and I don't think they would ever go back to film. So I do think they, they do embrace it. Do they think that they will be replaced by technology? No, I don't think so. And I, I hope not, but I don't think they, they will. I think that's so interesting. You just said they wouldn't go back to film and there's this ongoing debate in filmmaking where there are some like serious purists about using film and like, you know, still filming on film as opposed to digital. Yeah, I would say the the MFA was certainly an early user of digital photography. You know, it was way back in the early 2000s, we really started using it. So we did embrace it early on. I think it, it's certainly faster than film is. I mean, there are some benefits to film, I think, but I still think digital these days is, is the way to go, at least for us. You know, we talk about maybe artwork and outside of exactly my department does at museum that's that's a little different I think but you know certainly for documenting the works in the collection digital would be the way we would go yeah, the functionality of it I feel like that's sort of it, it's also reminding me of the debate about like digital music versus like vinyl right and there's mm-hmm. this again this movement of like for aesthetic reasons or like aural reasons people are like very serious about vinyl but it's like more useful and functional in our current culture and society to have mp3s and mp4s i think you, you'd idea. get the argument with photographers who are doing it as their you know artwork that yes there probably are still photographers i'm sure using film that feel the same way that musicians do about vinyl right but you don't get the same effect and you don't get the same look and and that's what they like so you know as someone who started with film i love that someone's keeping that alive but you know digital is has its place too <laughs> We're going to spend just a little bit of time at the end of the episode talking about Taylor Swift's new album as the pop culture <laughs> yes. excerpt. But um, I did want to mention she has been struggling to figure out how to sell physical albums mm-hmm. and then also lean into streaming. And so she has kind of followed in the path of BTS, who's the most successful Korean pop group in the world right now, by releasing a number of different vinyl albums, knowing that her super fans will still buy all yeah. eight because they all have a different cover. Um, and maybe never listen to them. So I think she's finally coming around that like as much as she loves the sound of vinyl, people are going to continue to listen to her digital format. Yeah. And she's one of the last, I mean, she's one of the last artists who is still selling like CDs, Mm -hmm. like her CDs still sell at places like Target. She does a lot of Target exclusives and people buy them because that's her audience, which is kind of cool. She'll put an extra song on it or something Mm -hmm. for the incentive, but is it just nostalgia at this point? Um, What's the incentive to kind of stay in the old school mode? I always use the example of doctors. I'm like, I wouldn't want my doctor doing what they did 20 years ago. (laughs) And so when we talk about teaching and even the, the creation of art in contemporary times, like, we need to move forward. Sarah, you don't want your doctor wearing like the old plague outfits no. with the big beats Dear when Lord. you go to the hospital. <laughs> so how did you end up on the Worcester Arts Council? I know you're from the area originally, right? 
Yes, I actually saw a posting on their Instagram page about a vacancy and the council. I think there were actually several seats available at the time. So I decided, you know, I really wanted to get involved more with the local art scene in Worcester. It's, it's a reason I moved back to the area is because of the art scene here and applied online and you know, joined in February. What was that process like? What was the application process? Was it sort of straightforward? Was it tricky? Um, I would say it's straightforward. It is a, I joined, I think I applied in October and I joined in February. I think the holidays might've had, I don't think it normally takes that long. I think the holidays mm. may have delayed it, but so you, we do actually have a vacancy on the council right now. So if anyone is interested, this is, you know, please go to the Worcester city website and um, apply, but this is how the process works. You would apply Then you go um, before the citizen advisory council, take about five minutes to explain why you want to be on the council and they quote to move you on. And then you meet with, I met with several representatives of the, um, I don't actually meet with anyone on the council. It's um, someone from the city office, someone I think from HR, someone from the cultural council. Um, do an interview with them and then you meet with the city manager at Augustus as well. Then assuming everyone approves your application, you are on the council. So it's several steps, but it's not. It's not ruling. Yeah. <laughs> we no, really like no. Encourage people to join boards and committees. Yeah. So especially women who are our main listener base. So mm-hmm. this is a great opportunity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So please take a look if you if anyone is interested in the arts council. Like I said, there is a vacancy. We'd love to have someone join before the grant cycle starts up again in October. Um, but there are also a lot of other councils um, in the city of Worcester. As part of my job for um, the school district I work for and worked for previously, I did a lot of grant writing. So I saw your grant pop up and I said, <laughs> oh, individuals can apply. I don't need a nonprofit status to apply for this or I don't need to be part of an organization that's established. And I said, well, podcasting is like a sort of a, a communications arts yeah. um, <laughs> vehicle perhaps they'll give us some money and then lo and behold it was so easy to apply and I even I'm embarrassed to say had missed like one of the forms to fill out and Nikki Erskine Mm -hmm. is it Erskine or Erskine 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 Nikki (laughs) she emailed me that same day and said hey you just need to add this part of the application I can help you with it she just made it so easy Yes, Nikki's great. And that's great to hear that the grant process was easy. This will be my first year going through the grant cycle. So I'm excited to see what we receive for grants, especially during this time. But yes, the um, grant applications for this year, because of the state budget, everything's delayed a little bit. So assuming we have a state budget, I think by September, the um, grant applications open October 1st, and they'll close November 16th. So Keep an eye on our social media page. Um, we'll be posting information about the grants and how to apply. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely be pushing that too for people. I think it is really important to like make that stuff accessible. So like as an individual, like someone might be a great artist, but that just because they're not affiliated, it can be really mm-hmm. hard to get somewhere. So I think that is super important. Um, so you mentioned that the grants open up October 1st. And you guys have a survey right now that's out where you're kind of asking the community what it's looking to fund. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important that people fill out that survey and like what kind of voices you're looking for? Sure. So we um, we do have the survey up. It's up through September 7th. And the survey 
ask the Worcester community what their priorities are for funding arts and culture grants. And the answers we get directly impact how we allocate these grant funds in Worcester. So it's really important to have as many people take the survey so we can have as many voices in Worcester because really when we do review the grants, we do factor in the priorities that people tell us are important to them. Um, it takes about three minutes to complete. It's very short. And anyone who takes a survey has a chance to win a pair of Bose noise canceling headphones. So yes. I know I, it's a win-win for three minutes. Sure, worth like a lot of money I too. Know. <laughs> I got to the end and it was like, all right, you've been entered. And I was like, wait a second. Uh, <laughs> right. I know that's like worth it for me. I love anything, any type of like chance mm-hmm. thing, any type of like contest of chance I'm like maybe I'll win it only took maybe four minutes yeah maybe two so I encourage everyone to do that have your voice heard definitely Mm -hmm. that is a very democratic process I didn't realize like how much I think like when we got involved um and like when Sarah had written the grant for us like I didn't realize how much the community how much impact the community had on that decision making I think that's really cool yeah so the more people that take the survey the greater you know, if it's kind of coming from one segment of the population, they're the ones who are waiting the, um, you know, results. So we're really trying to get the word out this year to get as many communities as possible to take the survey. Wonderful. Very timely. (laughs) Um, Is there anything you haven't had a chance to say yet that you would definitely want our listeners to know about Worcester Arts Council or your role in the community? Or the museum. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, you know, the Worcester Arts Council, we really are said, focused on trying to bring arts and culture programs to the community that the community wants. We get a lot of really great grants, a lot that we can actually fund. We get more grants than it's possible for us to fund. And probably with the budget this year, it may be less. So we would really, like I said, I keep plugging the survey, but we would really love people to give us some direction for what's important for next year's grant funding. Um, because the grants are, you know, they're really a wide range of programs. So it's great to be able to give back to the community that way. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. Um, we would love for you to keep us posted on any sort of initiatives going on. And we so appreciate you guys supporting our podcast. Oh, sure. Thank you. We love your <laughs> podcast. We love that you, you know, bring women's voices to the airways and we're really proud to support. Yeah. Thank you every time for having me. I get so excited every time like the Worcester Arts Council like Instagram like re grams anything that like we post. I'm always like cool. That's us. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you're welcome to join us for the Beyonce Taylor Swift portion of the episode, but you also can bow out if you want. It's up to you. <laughs> Uh, sure, I'll join you. I'm not sure I have much to say, but I'd All love right, to okay. hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> I might just fun. be the silent observer, but oh, yeah. I'd uh, love That's to hear it. Well, I do also want to talk about Ellen for a minute, too, oh, but we please. can save that. Yeah. Do you want to lead with Ellen? Or actually, so Ellen was featured in Taylor Swift's video um, for You Need yeah. to Calm Down, yeah. which was one of Taylor's first political statements. Oh, yeah. She had been very quiet and she'd been criticized on both fronts because by not supporting Hillary Clinton in 2016, she was then viewed as like some sort of alt-right hero, but she thought that she was so unlikable that if she supported Hillary, it would actually negatively impact Hillary. So she'd stayed quiet and that is one of her biggest regrets. 
Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that that was her, to me, that that was her perception of it, because I think that with the audience of maybe like young women in maybe like Southern or Midwest areas who, like I said, like are the people who buy CDs still, that her voice really could have been something. I don't think it would have changed the, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, it would have changed the the result. result. but, But I do think that, I do think that she... And it's the same thing as like when you look in the mirror and you see something and then like other people don't notice it. Right. So I think mm-hmm. that she was almost like underserving herself and underestimating her own, the, the impact that her own voice would have. So but she featured Alan yeah. in her video among many LGBTQ plus individuals. Yes. Should I get all the letters? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could always do IA instead IA. of plus, but it doesn't. I was just going to say like queer heroes. So. Yes. She featured all sorts of yes. queer heroes, including like Ryan Reynolds, because he yeah, is genderless it? in the movie. Oh right? yeah. And Deadpool. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. And Deadpool. That. And so he was the first yes. superhero who falls under kind of that queer canon. Yeah, absolutely. I forgot about that. Um, this is a great tie-in. My favorite color is blank. Purple. No, mine. I didn't say Taylor's. <laughs> yes. The last person I kissed was blank. Like a eight-year-old kid in the audience last night. That is night. gross. Good thinking. All right, yes. tell us about Ellen. Ellen is in some trouble. And so this has been, it didn't like, it's not brand new like this month. It kind of very has slowly come to a head where a couple of years ago, I remember reading an article, I think it was on maybe Jezebel, and it was just about it was like one person's sort of point of view about difficulties working on that show. Then it was like trickled in more where she sat with George W. Bush at a baseball game. And some people were really bothered by that. And she said, well, we have our differences, but we can still be friends. And I think that there was maybe a difference between that though. And people were kind of like, well, he's a war criminal. Mm -hmm. Um, so people were really upset. They were like, it's not just like you sat with someone who's like your buddy who maybe is like, you guys get in arguments sometimes. Then like that same week, Dakota Johnson was on her show. Ellen had basically alleged that she like, wasn't invited to Dakota Johnson's birthday party, that she had a big party. And Dakota was like, no, you were. Can I ask, Um, is Dakota Johnson from 50 Shades of Grey? Yes. Yep. And, um, it's a great thing she did. How to be single. It's a movie I love with her. But yeah, she's just, you know, she's like cool young actress. And her parents are also famous. But she had invited Ellen to her birthday. So she basically like on television, like live on her show was like sort of impatient with her in the way that she addressed it. She was like, no. And then so then that was almost the trigger of like people started, as as they say, the tea started spilling, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where people started to talk about the fact that Ellen is not, does not really practice the kindness that she preaches on her show. And it sort of really broke um, in the last couple of weeks because there have been a lot of testimonial from folks who have worked on the show, um, usually in like a below the line capacity, which is like production assistants and those types of people. And so they have basically come out saying it was a terrible experience to work there. You cannot look her in the eye. That kind of workplace is held up by producers who work closely with her. It's a very, apparently it's a very toxic environment for a lot of people who work on those lower level jobs, but especially it sounds like for people of color and black people specifically. And she's constantly held up as this figure of character, you know, and kindness. And sort of like, she kind of like crosses the political lines too. It seems like everyone sort of likes Ellen. And so I think that this is really hard for a lot of people to reconcile. I read a, a 
Twitter thread the other day by a woman who who is a lesbian and she was young in the 90s and she said I remember watching the puppy episode which was the, the groundbreaking episode of Ellen's show and she said you know she gave me so much she meant so much to me but sometimes you have to move on from that like mm-hmm. it's disappointing and it's really sad and she was a hero and monumental but when you find these things out it's like oh you know mm-hmm. she's a person too right um, yes but I think that that's the big thing is that people are really trying to figure out how she can be this like held up as this sort of model of kindness um and so a lot of celebrities now who are like rich and famous are like she was always so nice to me and people are like you're not the people who work there right and there's not a power dynamic that forced her to be or there was a power dynamic at play where she was forced to be kind to you absolutely right like jennifer are you an ellen fan it's kind of neutral on her but i (laughs) i would agree that I thought she was, you know, this really nice to everyone and Absolutely. really nice person. And it's very surprising and sad that it turns out she is not. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And now people have this theory that like, she's reaching out to famous people and asking them to like tweet about it. Oh, and they're God. saying, oh no, she hasn't. And so people now are like writing, oh, she didn't ask me to do this, but I'm doing this, which kind of makes it's you think even more. You're it like, like loops around. You're like, she didn't ask you to, because it sounds like she did. Um, right it's just it's a very interesting sort of like tornado of just this stuff happening around her interesting (laughs) we think of ellen as such an authentic person Mm -hmm. and then taylor swift has been widely criticized since the age of like 16 yeah for being inauthentic and i think (laughs) i connect with her on a very deep level in many ways she's always looked at like she's victimizing herself, right? Or she's like too ambitious. Yeah. Or she's calculating it. And I think a lot of these things do stem from the fact that when you become famous or have any sort of trauma as a high schooler, not only do you try to like continue to work through that teenage trauma, probably for the rest of your life, yeah. which she tends to do in her lyrics, but also, I mean, you get kind of stuck, right? And I feel like she's had moments where she was stuck in this teenage mentality and people have been so critical for her working her way out of it. This Publicly. is the most adult album I think we've ever heard from her. It has had largely amazing reviews. Yes. NPR loved it. Rolling Stone loved it. New York Times, lukewarm. But Do you, do you um, know who wrote the New York Times review? It's the host like, of the podcast. I wish I remembered no, his name right. off the top of my head. I was just curious because I'm sure that... Um, did Rolling Stone have Rob Sheffield do it? Yeah, he loves her. Oh God, he, his yeah. knowledge of Taylor Swift albums was incredible. He's I will a, say, he's a super fan. I think Red is still my favorite album, but this album I listened to so many times already, which is a characteristic of her music. You can listen to the album once and know all the words, and I really like that. But she tells beautiful stories with such word economy. She can say so much in so few bars of a song. And then at the same time, like you can listen to this album as autobiographical. You can listen to it as this like teenage story among three characters she's Mm -hmm. created. Or you can listen to it as a statement about her bisexuality, which is a theory that a lot of her fans have that she had a relationship with Carly Claw. I'm a truther. was what I did to you but if I just showed up at your party would you have me would yeah I think to me what's really interesting about this album I haven't listened to much of it though is that it does this is the first time that it's felt like she has stepped outside like she's externalized some mm-hmm. of her storytelling which I think is interesting because I think in the past 
she was very forthright about everything being really from her experiences and from herself. Whereas I think it's kind of cool this time where she's sort of just moved into this, like it's kind of like Bruce Springsteen sort of Story storytelling. Tradition. Well, I think it's awfully impressive that she's cross-generational. She speaks from the viewpoint of a seven-year-old, of a teenager, of a 30-year-old, and then she speaks as a housewife, right? Um, where she's talking about Rebecca, I think it's Hargrove. Oh, yeah, it's this heiress this. of yes. the Standard Oil um, fortune. And so I just, I was really impressed by the album. I really enjoyed it. And she followed the Beyonce model of dropping it with less than 24 hours notice. Yeah. And I think part of it is like all her other albums, she knows she's got to build up this crazy fan base to fill stadiums and she's going to perform it in stadiums. This is not an album that she will ever perform yeah. in a stadium. It's like, it's spooky. Yeah. <laughs> and she even said too, that she was surprised that it happened. She didn't plan for it. She, it just kind mm-hmm. of came to her, the writing process, which is cool. Now, do you have any sort of love for Taylor Swift or hate for Taylor Swift? I'm not a huge fan, but I do like Taylor Swift. She does come across to me as genuine. And I agree that she is unfairly picked on, you know, I think, I don't know, she's, she was young and I think she was unfairly, I don't know, targeted for some things, but I do like her. And I know this album I think I read it set a Guinness world record for the biggest opening day for an album oh. by a female artist on Spotify. That's yeah, cool. That's right? Um, I just <laughs> looked it up. Yeah. It was John Caramanica who wrote the New York Times review, which is it not was. surprising me because he is a grump. He I is. like his writing a lot, but he's like kind of ornery sometimes. <laughs> I well, like his podcast. Oh no, he's great. Like I think that can make his writing, it makes his writing more interesting because he comes with a viewpoint where he's like, well, He's like a grumpy old man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is cool though. I didn't know that about that. Spotify. I just mentioned Beyonce and on Friday she dropped at well Thursday at midnight, she dropped a new visual album. And then Friday morning I saw you pretty early and I was like, Did you listen to it yet? <laughs> and I realized the reason I wasn't totally floored by the album was I had already heard it. And that, the Lion King. The album came out the a year album, ago. Right. And the Lion Yes. It was Yes, the album came out last summer when the Lion King film came out because they, it's inspired by the that, Lion King. Right, yeah. It would have benefited, I think, if they had both dropped at the same time. Yeah, she's so meticulous, though. I imagine that she really wanted to like get everything the way she wanted it to be. Yeah, I don't understand. So it's on Disney Plus exclusively, and it's rated TV 14. And I'm not sure why. I mean, she's wearing some things that are revealing, but they're like, it's a lot of cultural dress. And that was something yeah. that the New York Times also said on, is it John Caramonica? Yeah. His podcast, they said she played a little fast and loose with the diaspora. Like yes. she kind of blends all these, uh, this like tons of African nations cultures together. And people weren't yeah. thrilled by that. Yes, I believe that... The Lion King story is, I can't remember if it's East or West African in, but it's regional. in the way that they did it. Yep. And then I guess that in this particular like film or visual album, she sort of combined with the other direction, whichever one it was and like kind of just threw it in. And some people were kind of like, you know, and I was talking to our friend Love about this and I said, you know, people have been wearing t-shirts for like 10 years that say Africa is not a country on them. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, you know, she should, she should know that. <laughs> But it, it's <laughs> striking as usual. The dance is amazing. Whoever did like costume direction, oh my god, I, it, you can't take your eyes off of it. I wonder if it was um, the woman who did 
Ruth Carter, who did Black Panther. The only distracting part for me was they have little clips from the live action Lion King, like audio clips to tie everything together. And you hear Seth Rogen's voice while these women are performing this like beautiful African dance. And you're like, I just don't see it. Get out of here, Seth. You know, he just doesn't Right? Yeah. That is kind of funny. So it's a little jarring when they try to tie in the Disney side of it. It feels a little forced. Unlike her um, self-titled album and Lemonade, which were just so fluid and they were her, you know? Yes. Very um, organic. Organic. It looks like the stylist was Zarina Akers, who did the costumes on the film. Mm -hmm. Cool. Spend a couple hours and just get lost in Beyonce's Lion King. Always a good call. Black is King. It's called. Jennifer, I don't know if you have any pop culture recommendations to leave us with <laughs> oh, an album, a movie, a show that has gotten you through quarantine. What do you like? Um, I have to say I've been having a hard time finding something to get hooked on. I think I'm still working my way through Shit's Creek. I think it's <gasps> me keeping too. me like, what else you do know, you need? Laughing during this process. I, I've kind of been dragging it out a little bit because I don't want it to end. So I have found that like shows like that where it's like you sort of feel attached or like part of the like family of the show have been really good at this time. Like shows where you can kind of like leave and enter the world and feel sort of like these are my quarantine friends, you know? Molly wears a sweatshirt that says, ew, David. (laughs) I love it. I got it for Christmas. It's one of my favorite things. David. 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 Ew, no, David. 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 Ew. David, 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 David. Hi. Um, hi. I like to try and say it all the different ways too. She's like, ew, David. Ew, David. (laughs) Like there's too many, there's so many like inflections that you can do. But But that is one where you really come to love the characters. Yes. Even though they're unlikable. Well, they grow to they be begin unlike that's why yeah. the show is so good because they all grow so much <laughs> it made me love it even more when i found out that david and twyla are johnny's actual children yeah they created the show together daniel and eugene levy oh. i do i like that too and i like how once you know that twyla is his daughter you can see it in her brow mm-hmm. like immediately you're <laughs> like oh yeah she's got the she's got the good eyebrows she's too the brows. yeah but they finally, the Emmys noticed them this year. They nominated like the whole, all four of the main cast members. And I was looking through, it was funny. I was just looking through the list and I kind of looked up at my mom and I was like, if they don't give an Emmy award to Catherine O'Hara, oh my God. they should cancel the awards. Like the other, <laughs> I love the other cast members too. I especially really love Daniel Levy who plays David, but I think that Catherine O'Hara, it would just be such a great like cap to her career because she's been such like a, I, like she's a legend of, a very specific kind of comedy, I think. Oh, she has no idea if the taller baby can take on its mother. So I was like, they have to do it. And she has the mother Moira. Yes, yeah. and she is <laughs> such a character. <laughs> All right, well, I have been Sarah. I have been Molly. Thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. Everyone should complete the Worcester Arts Council survey as soon as possible. Yeah, we will um, repost the link as well so you guys can grab that. Mm-hmm. Thank you.